Mommy, are we poor? Shared stories of single mothers struggling to overcome poverty and adversity by using their wit, grit, and just refusing to quit. So get your earbuds on and join us in this Me Too movement mashup of mothers, actors who play them, lawyers who represent them, and theater professionals who are telling Chelsea's story on stage. To inspire mothers around the world to live boldly and instill greatness in their children. Hello and welcome to the Mommy Are We Poor podcast. I'm Richard Ravosa, your host, and over the coming episodes, we're going to do a deep dive into the many dimensions of how poverty affects single mothers and their families. We're going to view these often disturbing issues through the twin lenses of drama and reality. In this case, it's art imitating life all the way as we explore these deep and dark trenches together. Mommy, Are We Poor? is a full-length stage play, an epic tale of poverty in America set against the backdrop of the Me Too movement. It's the story of Chelsea, a widowed single mom in her 30s, living in a rundown inner-city apartment with two young kids, two jobs, a married boss with questionable motives, and a deadbeat ex who doesn't pay his child support. Her world begins to crumble after receiving an eviction notice, a credit card lawsuit, and almost having her car repossessed just in time for Christmas. Today, we have as a guest on our podcast, Lyrilyn Kay, Actress, director, playwright, screenwriter, multi-talented, multifaceted. We will enjoy hearing from her and her take on Mommy as she begins to plan to direct Mommy for a Boston production uh, next August in 2022. Can you give us a little bio about yourself? I know you've been racking up awards with Assigned Female at Birth, so could you give our audience a little flavor of what you're doing now and a little bit of your bio? Sure. Uh, well, I am I am in uh, post-production for season two of Assigned Female at Birth. So we have finished editing two episodes. We have four more to go. And actually at 5.30 tonight, I'll be working on episode three. And we are in pre-production for season three. And the big difference between season one and two and season three is that season three, we're actually going to film in person. Whereas season one and two, we filmed remotely. Of course. None of us had ever done before. And uh, that was very interesting technically to try to make it look like we were in person when we weren't, at least some of the time. And well, you did time, it. I, I saw it. Oh, so it looked look great. Oh, cool. I'm glad you think so. Well, I think we're all pretty proud of it. It is very much about outlier intersectional identities. And also, it's funny, you know, so to do social justice work while keeping in the focus on story is my jam. I really love doing it. I've now interviewed 50 people in order to write the series. And I hope I'm doing a good job of including their lives somehow in what I do. And I'm an actor, writer, producer, director, and I have produced and directed and acted in theater. I did that for 20 years. And I've been doing a lot of film more recently in like the last five or six years. 
And my work does tend to be social justice. I like to be a part of telling stories that make a difference and change our cultural understanding. And I like to have as much fun as possible while doing it. Oh, you and me both. That's <laughs> that's terrific. And, and something you said struck me because an interest I have is trying to capture the stories of people who are suffering in silence. And yes. uh, I think some of the, the folks you are helping tell their stories through assigned female at birth are, are similar in a way to Chelsea, who's who's fighting many battles on different fronts. Yes, exactly. I mean, that was part of what, right from the beginning with Mommy Are We Poor, that engaged me in the project was Chelsea. And I do feel that economic inequality is not being addressed as much as it should be. And the way that, I mean, you know, all the other issues of sexual assault, I think we've seen, right, in the Me Too movement and the movies and television shows that have come out of that, that it can happen at, at you know, to women at any economic level. But you have captured what it's like when you're disenfranchised already because you're struggling to survive financially and how much of a trap that is and how hard it is to decide to fight back when you don't have as many weapons in your arsenal. Glad to be a part of it. Yes, thank you. And, and one of the weapons in the arsenal that some people have is money. And that can, for better or for worse, be a part of the problem also. Exactly. And I think that it's really important to understand that class. We are in, you know, we're in a certain time period in history, right? We're talking about race and we're talking about sexual assault and we're talking about gender. And we are talking about class kind of very secondhand. I mean, it always, in the news, it always comes into it, right? That poor black people or poor people of color don't have access to the vaccine the way rich white people do, right? right I mean, that's right. So we do talk about it, but when it comes to our storytelling, we don't always put the focus on the economic disparity and what that means specifically. That is very true. And that, that's something in my work as a lawyer, I see day in and day out are people suffering uh, with economic disparities and have nowhere to turn in some cases. Yeah, I think it's so important to tell the story that you're telling and um and Chelsea's desperation and and there's a there's a really wonderful thing too is that you know, she's not always nice because people at the end of their rope aren't, right? There's a lot of right. realism and it's gritty realism and we need that too. Right. And and you know, part of that came from in, in some of the meetings I've had with individuals, single mothers and they will go to the mats for their children and, and have to, to put food on the table, turn the lights on. Uh, so in a sense, do you think Chelsea's relatable in that way to a lot of single mothers? I do. Um, and I think, I think that you have, you're walking this line and it's a line of relatability and sympathy. She is absolutely relatable. She is absolutely sympathetic and part of what makes her sympathetic is that she's not winning every battle. Yeah. Most she, of us don't. Yeah, exactly. It makes her pain and her struggle are our pain and our struggle, right? That's part of the relatability. 
Yeah. So what initially caught your attention about the script when you first read it and have been working with it now for a while? I would say that the character of Chelsea was the first thing that drew me to the project. And I was also interested in the ways that the law doesn't help her. Ah, right? yeah, <laughs> yes. So... So we we know, right, we know that Anita Hill is a classic example. We know that when women report sexual harassment, that they're not believed, and sometimes they're vilified and they're victimized twice. We know that. But there's other aspects of the law in terms of how the financial side of what has happened between Chelsea and Clark is going to keep Chelsea from getting justice, right? And there's all yeah. these all these legal hoops she has to jump through. And even without, I mean, she's, you know, her lawyer believes her, but her lawyer still has to make her follow the letter of the law, which, sure. you know, clearly was not written for Chelsea. Right. That That's the problem with the civil law system. In other words, you have criminal law where if someone's charged with a crime, in many cases, they're eligible for a public defender at no cost. If you contrast that with civil law, everything that Chelsea's involved with, there really aren't free lawyers. So you have to seek out lawyers like Megan who work for free, pro bono attorneys, to get wow. that assistance. And and those are the folks we see every day at our office that are so grateful to have found someone to help them and not just pass the buck. Yeah, I think the play is educational, and I think it's relatable, and we've been working on some of the other characters, and I'm I'm really, I feel like all the characters are getting more and more three-dimensional, and it, it's, uh, there is a Mary Gordon's first novel, which I believe is called Final Payments. There's a moment in that novel, I think I actually threw the book across the room, because I was so, I, like, you love the main character, but she gets incredibly self-destructive. And some of the reason why she's getting destructive is a guy's fault, but you also understand him. So it creates this internal conflict for you as the reader. And I think that's where we're heading for the audience, you know, in terms of understanding the humanity of every character and understanding sure. the imperfections of every character. Sure. So is there a message in there, in, the, in that script, or are there more than one message? I think there's definitely a message of female empowerment, and and there's and it's very interesting because I would say there's four, there's Chelsea, there's Chelsea's daughter, Julissa, there's Ms., is it Allerton? Yes. Ms. Allerton, and then there's Megan, right? And yeah. and there's um, it's not an it's not like the women always help each other, right? We have an antagonist in one of these women, so I think it's it, the message is to keep fighting for yourself and to keep looking at the and that there is hope. So I and it's also there's um it's there's a very saddest I I don't want to be a total spoiler, you know. But there's yeah, it's right. very satisfying at the end of the play um, to to see the way people change. And, yeah. and I also think, um, 
I at, at the where we're at now, there is also for some villains, uh, there isn't there isn't really redemption. You know, you might understand right. them, but they still should get what they've got coming to them. Yeah, that's that's justice. Yep, that's justice. So why should come one? Why should someone come and see mommy? Why should they come and see this play? Well, I think because it's going to be very enjoyable. That, like, that's the first thing is that it's engaging. Some of it is wrenching. Some of it is funny. So I think that it's like it's a good story. That is always the first thing when you create art. And then they should also come in order to uh, be moved and inspired to to contribute more to the world that we live in so that, you know, people who struggle like Chelsea maybe don't have it so hard or maybe get an extra helping hand that they wouldn't have gotten without the play. Right, right. Well, and the, the last question I have for you, you are uh, going to be the director uh, when we're finally able to stage this play next year. And could you talk a little bit about the craft of directing and, and what you try to bring as a director to a stage play? Sure. Um, you know, there's there are elements to the craft of directing, right? There's for, The first thing is how do you work to realize the story? How do you, how do you work to create, to follow the arc of the play and to accentuate that? And that is, that that goes hand in hand with the second part is like, how do you work with actors? So I like to bring everybody into my directorial vision, you know, like talk with the playwright, make sure we're on the same page that our vision, you know, is cohesive and then talk to the actors about that in table work so that we all understand this, that we're telling the same story. That's like right. the first piece of it. And yeah. then the second piece is in my work with actors to give them notes to, to heighten certain scenes above other scenes. You know, like we come in, we don't, like there's a saying in, in theater, you know, you don't play the end at the beginning. Uh, so, yeah. what you, so that I'm giving notes to them so that they are seeding uh, suspense and they are seeding where relationships might go, but we're not giving it all away. And then we build and build so that when we hit the climactic scene, there's an explosion, right? So that's... Right, right. And then the um, third piece of it is the visual. And the visual is, it, it's composed of a number of things. One is how do actors move on stage, right? So I think about the movement as a kind of choreography that I want to draw out of the actor's body. I want to draw it out of the actor's natural instincts for how to move and still make it very appealing to the eye. Uh, we also work with lights and sets to create something that is visually appealing or vis or visually shocking, right? If like right, if you're right. walking Chelsea's apartment should be a little bit shocking. Like they have lawn furniture in their house, you know? Yeah, 
Yeah. So the, the, the visual representation of the poverty is really important. Um, so I think about directing on like multiple levels and making them all work together. People say, I had a, a friend who was uh, co-directed with me and we had plays in the same festival and, and he said, I would have known no matter what that you directed that play. Like that's your aesthetic. And part of my aesthetic is I want to create for the audience the experience of being a fly on the wall with life being lived right in front of them. So I don't want to draw their attention to the work of the arc. I want them to lose themselves in the moment. So I want that work to be seamless and well thought out and to proceed moment by moment so that you're not aware you're not aware of that structure. What you're aware of is all the nuances in the way that the actors are relating to each other. And that, you know, that tends to make a very gritty and realistic feel. And if you already have gritty and realistic subject matter, so much the better. Oh, so much the better. better. Greatly looking forward to your directing skills and working with you. Uh, thank you. Likewise. Right. And thank you again for coming on the podcast, Lira Lynn, and um, I will be in touch. Great. All right. Thanks a bunch. Lira Lynn Kay, ladies and gentlemen, director, actress, award-winning individual on many fronts, and greatly looking forward to her directing skills for Mommy Are We Poor. Uh, stay tuned for production details. Check out our website, mommyarewepoor.com, for upcoming showtimes. And please join us next time as we continue to weave the dramatic yarns of Chelsea's story with the fabric of the law that combine to become the imperfect but authentic tapestry of life viewed through the immediacy of live theater. Look for new episodes each week and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes to help us spread the word. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and showtimes, connect with us at mommyarewepoor.com.